Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. It's great, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, although I was feeling kind of bad this morning. I was feeling bad because in the last episode, we gave our listeners lots of heuristics for figuring out what they should learn. So the question was, how did you learn to do the things you do? And we said things like, ask your older self or find consultants who can help you. And that was useful. But we didn't say, once you found something to learn, how you should actually learn it. Oh, that's true. So we, we, we give you a way to find out the skills you should have, but, but not those actually how to get the skills. So we can say like, you know what, really it'd be helpful for you to learn how to play the piano. That would be great. Excellent. How do I do it, Jeffrey? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Well, the question, I, first of all, how, you know, how did this come up that, that, that you, this came to you? So I was just reflecting back on our previous conversation. I was doing the editing and I said to myself, there's just something missing here. We, we haven't given people enough guidance for how to, how to learn. Yeah. And I think that is a common problem. It reminds me there was a, a blog post that came out earlier this year from, uh, that was described as to become a beginner, first become an expert. It's by a guy named Graham Lee. We'll make sure to put it in the show notes. And uh, what he starts with the observation that there's a whole load of practices in programming that only really work well if you're already good at whatever it is. So if you're, I guess it's sort of saying like our advice is only useful if someone already knows how to play piano. They're only going to get the benefits of, of knowing that you need to play the piano if you can already play the piano. And it seems like you could just sit down at the piano and go learn how to play the piano, but when you actually sit down to do it, nothing very good sounding comes out. Right. So I think a lot of times people will will, will take the, hear the advice of what they should do, and then they go try it, and it doesn't work. And they say, okay, well, that was terrible advice. I, I tried TDD, and you know, I just got slower, and nothing improved, and my design got worse, and so TDD doesn't work. <laughs> which which is clearly not true. At least it's <clears throat> it's it's not true for people who are practiced at TDD and and the uh, design skills that back it up. And I was so frustrated when you reminded me of this article because I, I remember reading it when you pointed it out to me earlier this year, and feeling frustrated because there's no alternative. He just says at the end, "Well, there's no on ramp. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> Give up. Give up now." And I felt very depressed after reading it. I, I think you had a more hopeful message you took from it. Yeah, I was. I was. I was less upset by the article because I, I've really read it as a reply to people who sometimes can be too dogmatic about agile <clears throat> and and. Uh, give non-helpful advice to say, well, it's just, I mean, like the agile projects never fail. You know, if you're, if you're, if your agile projects seem to fail, well, it's because you weren't agiling hard enough. It's sort of a, a variation of the no true Scotsman fallacy. No true Scotsman would ever do X. And if you find a Scotsman who does X, that's not a true Scotsman. Right. Be so there might only be one true Scotsman and he or she is in the Outer Hebrides somewhere you can't find him or her. <laughs> and so this, this, there can be frustration because people will say, basically use, use this line of reasoning to discount the problem that you're having. They'll say, well, if you're, if you don't have good design, well, you should be doing TDD and then you'll have good design. And you, you try doing TDD and you, you don't end up with good design as a result. And they say, oh, well, you weren't really doing TDD the right way. Of course. No. If you really knew how to do it, you'd be fine. Yeah, but but you and I would say that these. This is kind of a uh, almost a dilemma here, which is we, on the one hand, have told people, "Yep, go out and talk to people, and you'll learn about all these skills you should have, and then you'll you'll that'll be good." But we don't actually then say what to do, and that was the frustration that you identified. Yep. 
So what do, what should we do? Well, there's a, a, a good news is that there is something you can definitely do when you don't have these skills, and that's to start by just being bad. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And, I'm pretty bad at a lot of things, so that's good news. I'm, I'm heartened by that. What, what would being bad look like? How would I know if I was being bad? Well, it's funny because I actually tend to take it as my default state. I find that to be very helpful. <laughs> if uh, My line of reasoning goes like this. There's, I've never worked on a, a project that was perfect, and so I always assume that if there were other someone else other than me on the project, it could have gone better. So there's always room for me to improve. And I just find that to be a very useful heuristic for myself. So, And of course, your project could in fact be doomed. It could be that it couldn't get better. Well, it, it, is, it is possible if I have a project that doesn't succeed that actually no one in the world could have made it succeed. Just commercially, it was not viable or technically it was not possible. But there's no way for, really, for me to know that. And I don't have access to all the other realities where other Jeffs were on the project and behaved in, in all the myriad of different ways and yet still were unsuccessful. So it's, it, uh, it's, it's better for me to think, it's a more useful thing for me to think that actually among that myriad of possibilities was an alternative Jeff that could have done a better job. And so then it's my challenge to think, well, how, how can I improve from here? And I think this is one element that does tie back to what we we're talking about last week, which is wherever I'm, you're going to start from in developing your skills, you're going to need to start from where you are. And so you're, I'm only looking for incremental improvement from where I am. And that's, of course, underlying lots of the Agile principles we've been talking about throughout the life of this podcast. We'll link to the principles again in case anybody's forgotten them. The, a lot of them talk about rapid iteration so you can learn and retrospective consideration so you can reflect on your iterations and actually learn from them. That, that applies as much to the skills within the team like test-driven development, microservices, something else, as it does to your product itself. You're often in situations, Groyno, where you're advising people to start developing skill with skills that they don't have to go start practicing something. And I know they must come to you and say, well, you know, I'm going to be very bad at this. What, what kind of advice do you give them? Well, I like to tell them a particular story, which I advise, I, I remind everyone, is, is a made-up story. This is apocryphal, but and I can't even remember where I read it or about which classical music composer it was. So we'll, we'll pick one. We'll pick Beethoven. I always pick a different one, whatever I'm feeling like on the day. And Beethoven had his star student who was a violin uh, violinist. And this star student came to Beethoven and says, I, I need a new piece. And Beethoven said, I've got the perfect one for you. Here it is right here. I'd just like you to play this piece and come back in a week and tell me how you're getting on. And the student said, fantastic. I've got an original Beethoven. No one's ever seen this. I'm getting to play this amazing piece. Gets it home and starts playing and discovers the first instruction is to stand on your head while you're playing the first bar. And the next instruction is to play an extremely high note next to an extremely low note so your, your hand can't stretch that far. And the instructions just go on, they get wilder and wilder and just giving you in, insane things that seem like no one could, could ever do them, that just seems just completely out of reach. So the poor student tries as hard as, as, as she can and comes back and says, Beethoven, Beethoven, maestro, maestro, I'm, I'm so sorry, I just could not play this piece. No one could play it, it's impossible. And the maestro says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you something important. Of course it's impossible. I wrote it to be impossible. I was looking for the sound of someone trying to play it. <laughs> and so the point is that I, I then can use that with my students. I've got one person right now that I'm coaching, and I remind her of this practically every week. Oh, yeah, that's one of those violin things. It doesn't matter if you're doing it perfectly, because the nice thing is it degrades gracefully. 
And that's true of a lot of the things listed in the article and that we talk about as agile practices and that you hear about. If you do a bad retrospective, at least you talk to your team. If you do TDD badly, at least you wind up with some tests and perhaps some greater understanding of your code. If you do microservices badly, at least you wind up with some modular code and some sort of division into pieces. So I claim that actually most of these things done badly still give you value. The interesting thing for me, when when, I, this, when we talked about this idea of being bad, and I we in our roadmap to skills uh, made us reference to a Go proverb about the observers eight stone stronger. And there's another bit of advice that people often get when they're learning Go, which is to lose your first 50 games as fast as possible. But I try to apply that into a software context. And does that mean like we should have our first 50 projects fail? That, that doesn't seem viable. It doesn't sound like I'm going to stay very long employed as a software developer if I need to have my first 50 projects fail. But there's great news from the principles, which are that the unit of failure can be small. And I think that's also the point of the Go advice, although I'm not a Go player. I've seen similar advice in chess, for example, which I, I do know well. And it would be good if your first 50 games were short because then you could make all kinds of mistakes and learn from them quickly. Yeah, actually, in, in Go, you very often start on a, rather than a full-size 19 by 19 board, you'll start playing on a 9 by 9 board for exactly that point that you can have very short games. You can lose faster on a small board. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You can lose faster. And, and I think that's, if we think about this sort of skill acquisition, then you might think rather than saying, I'm going to try this over the whole, this new technique, this new approach over the whole project, uh, instead, I'm gonna, and my unit of failure will be some number of weeks or months. How how many times can I fail today? That would be a great question. I think I might start asking my clients that question. <laughs> so, so we come back then. So, what's our our practical advice? So, uh, last last week we gave I think still useful advice for how to go out and learn about the type of of practices and the types of things that people might try or that you might try. But now we're we're coming up. So, our follow up advice for actually developing the skill with these things you're trying is go try them. Indeed. And normalize failure. Make your unit of failure small. Can I write 10 bad TDD tests today? Can I have a interaction with my team? Can I talk to my product manager and, and misunderstand him or her three times today? Right. So I will, I, if, if I'm, I think I talked about it, I may have talked previously about a bad experience with use cases, then let's write 10 bad use cases and reflect on them today. That would be more useful than writing 100 bad use cases and then reflecting on them in two weeks. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so Excellent. I think that's uh, hopefully people get some useful advice out of this. Now, now we're giving this advice. We also know it's difficult because this is uh, before we've talked about learning is horrible, but uh, it's it's the only way forward is to start by being bad and, and incrementally getting better. Well, we look forward to hearing about how our listeners have managed to fail in interesting ways, something I often tell my clients. And we'd love to hear your stories and questions about how you could be worse, how you could be bad faster, and anything else. We have a little backlog, as we've said, of questions. We've got a really good one coming for next week. So uh, stay tuned for more listener questions, and please send them to you to us yourself. Just have a look at troubleshootingagile.com. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Jeffrey.